Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, good sir? Doing well. Doing well. I, I feel like I'm the starro of my own production here today. That's right. Increased production values every week. That's what our goal is, and sometimes it happens. <laughs> sometimes being the optimal word. Sometimes. Yep. Uh, well, we are excited to be back with you. We are going to be talking about a new movie that just came out that uh, we're, we're excited because there's been this, this lack of, of new movies, you know, with everything that's been going on. The ones that have been coming out have been coming out on streaming services, and it's just not quite the same. You're not getting a lot of those big budget blockbusters that we're used to getting just because of the times that we live in. But we're starting to edge into it. We had Black Widow come out not too long ago to bring us back to the comic book movies. Well, that's what we love to talk about. We've got another one today. What are we talking about, Richard? A squad of people that dies a lot. <laughs> yes, indeed. The Suicide Squad 2021. Uh, now, this is another of those films that is sort of a reboot, but not really. Sort of an extension, but not really. Um, it's it's a little... The, the original Suicide Squad came out in 2016, um, and this is, however you want to take it as a reimagining or a continuation, is kind of both. Uh, it casts a lot of the same people from the original film. Um, it's helmed by a different director, um, and it has a different tone uh, than the original film did, much like uh, a lot of people are comparing this to the Snyder Cut versus the original Justice League, which I don't think is quite an apt comparison but we'll, we'll get into that later now as always when we do our reviews of movies we are going to have spoilers so if you've not seen this film since it is brand new you may want to come back to this after you see the film but we will give you a general idea of whether we think you should see this in the theaters wait for it to come out on streaming or you know just kind of ignore it completely now for me personally uh considering the first two are kind of the same thing right now for a lot of people uh, and you can stream this if you have uh, HBO Max. Um, I think it is definitely worth uh, watching. Uh, I mean, I would like to see it in the theater. I did not see it in the theater. I watched it on HBO Max. The uh, maybe worst uh, possible interface of any of the streaming services, but uh, it had the movie, and that was what was important. What about you, Richard? Well, I'll go back to what you mentioned before in terms of looking for a movie to watch and obviously we talk a lot about comic book movies and in looking for a movie to watch that fills that kind of action doesn't have to be sci-fi doesn't have to be comic book related but just something that's a little bit different fast paced doesn't have to be r-rated doesn't have to be pg 13 whatever there's been you're right there's been a lot of those things that have been released a lot of things on netflix for example and a lot of those movies are at best so there's been this glut of just nonsensical okay movies but nothing that's just been like catches your attention and you, right. you want to watch it and it looks good and i think the thing about this particular movie is i don't know if it was under hyped over hyped just the right amount of hype for it Hard good say. director good cast um, a lot going on it just so happens that for me it fits some of my favorite stuff, which is, it is a comic book movie. 
and it's R-rated. So there's bad words and there's blood and guts and all the types of nonsense that you can kind of freely do. It's kind of like when you watch some of the scripted shows, scripted TV shows, the really good ones that you get into a lot of times are on things like HBO or Netflix where they don't have boundaries so much and they don't have restrictions based on a cable network or they has to be PG or anything like that. Just so happens for this particular movie, it's R-rated, it's gory, it's funny, it's honestly really good. And in terms of watching it, of course, I watched it on HBO Max actually twice uh, because that's one of the flexibility pieces that you get with having it be on a streaming service is you get the opportunity to at least you watch it the first time you get your first your first thoughts and then if you have to revisit something because you thought you missed something or you wanted to see the whole thing again whatever it is you get that opportunity to watch it the next day or a week later so yeah it was a a nice change of pace that's for sure so going with that thought process hopefully you will enjoy the film uh as well if you decide to watch it but we're about to completely dissect it into scientific pieces sort of Uh, As you all know, if you've listened to the show before, uh, we tend to take a scale of 1 to 100 where the movie can either get an A plus or it can get, what's a zero? Is that a Z minus? I don't know if it goes that far back. (laughs) Mm, What's what's the 10th letter in the alphabet? Uh Quiz time, everybody. Uh, uh, J, no! Uh, But, you know, it's it's supposed to kind of feel like a, a more... Rather than five stars, because what is four star? Four star means something different to a lot of people, so it's it's not kind of specific enough. But we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about all of the different uh, categories. We're going to talk about the director. We're going to talk about casting. We're going to talk about the writing, of course, costuming and props. We're going to talk about location. We're going to talk about cinematography. It's all going to blend in to a total of that score and then uh, we're going to put it up on our website and and compare it against all of the other stuff that we've ever scored you know kind of the normal stuff on a side note grades and i talked about the alphabet why does it go from d to f yeah that's a slightly odd choice you would think that uh, an institution of learning wouldn't skip a letter Maybe it's because it's a vowel. Well, you get an A. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've got E and F look kind of similar. I, I don't know. F stands for fail. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just kind of jump into this. And uh, we'll we'll start at the beginning and end in the middle and uh, have the uh, ending somewhere in, the, in our middle. Yeah, right? Yeah. What do we want to start with? I know a lot of times we start with the same couple categories. We yeah, can... let's change it up. Let's start with uh, location. We never okay. start with location. Never, no. no. So um, the location category can have up to 10 points. Uh, we talk about the actual locations within the film, not where it is filmed, but the places that they go in the film. Uh, so what? We get to see the prison. We get to see the beach on Corto Maltese. We get to see uh, some of the inner city, especially when it comes to the strip club or the gentleman. It's not really a strip club. It's more of a gentleman's club. Uh, you get to see the, uh, the actual building that the scientific progress uh, is being made in. And that's about it. 
Did some jungle. Oh yeah, so a little bit of jungle in there. Um, what do you think? I I kind of like the the limiting of locations. The presidential palace. That's right. There is the presidential palace. That was actually really gorgeously done. I I don't know how I forgot about that. That that interior is well done. Well, I, one of the things in this particular movie, and we'll talk about it in a later category, is uh, the CGI. A lot of these places in their larger scale were CGI, but in the smaller scale, of course, there was a lot more practical things going on. And one of the things about this movie that I really enjoyed is the CGI wasn't distracting or wasn't poorly done. They had the money, they had the budget, they had the quality to make everything really nice. Right. Uh, there were times for sure, like the, the beach scenes and some of the jungle scenes where it really looked like you were on a sound stage because the trees just looked kind of fakish. Right. But that was about the weakest, the weakest aspect of, of what we saw. Yeah, the prison was pretty dull, and that's okay. Uh, this, the, the lab was kind of designed to be old-looking because it was built a long time ago. Um, so, th- like, World War II era, so that made sense. Everything was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it did what it needed to do. I think the focus needed to be less on where they were and more on who they were and what was happening. So, I think... Having fewer locations and focusing just on getting those locations done really well, like uh, the escape scene with Harley Quinn, that entire section, it highlighted the things that needed to be highlighted and everything else kind of blended into the background, which was, you know, just right. Um, and the the lab looked suitably gruesome uh, for the way that it needed to be. Uh, the rubble looked realistic enough. <laughs> <laughs> when it needed to, you know, that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it, there's not a lot to go into the locations. I, I definitely liked what they did. There's nothing that really, really stood out for me as being just amazing, which is why it won't get a perfect score from me. But it was it was good. It was just solid all around. I agree. Yeah. So out of a score of 10, what would you give it, Richard? I think 8 is a fair score. Same for me. 8 for location. Let's go to the other small fries uh, category that we always do in the costuming and props. Um, there were a couple of really nice bits of costuming and props in this. And we've talked about this a lot. A lot of times that, you know, there's going to be a handful of items that are key to the plot that just either don't look cool or just don't do what they need to do. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes there are a couple of items that really surprise you that this film had one of those for me. I would never have thought that the javelin would be that cool. It was actually really cool and the little added sound effects that they gave with it on top of it. But the design of the javelin was just beautiful. Um, I really liked that. I think some of the aspects from the... All of the different outfits, uniforms, all those pieces were pretty good as well. Uh, so Peacemaker had his helmet, which if you look at it how it was in the movie, was still kind of absurd. Oh, yeah. But in the comic books, it's, it's more even more absurd. So they took it in the right direction. But, you know, he had this over-the-top, ridiculous gun. Another prop. That was fine. It was, it was good. It made sense for him, for his part, 
in the movie. Um, the one thing I did notice, and I think this falls into the costuming and props, was the Harley Quinn. All the makeup was just bad. It was a little substandard, yeah. And the tattoos. Okay, so it's really hard. So the if you look at um, the Rick Flag character, right? So he's. I don't know in the comic books if he's got tattoos, but in real life, tattoos. And he's got a, when he had his shirt off, or you could see the tattoos, of course, right? And you you just can't replicate a real tattoo and a fake tattoo. Like you just can't combine the two because her tattoos that she were were presented just looked incredibly bad on screen. But if I'm nitpicking, that's what I'm nitpicking, right? Oh yeah, that's definitely nitpicking. Yeah. But you know that's that's kind of sometimes what you what you notice. So the character is always in the comics presented as very pale, and that means that she has to be in very pale makeup the entire time. But with everything that's going on, it washes out really really badly in a lot of spots. So it kind of depends on the direction that you're going, whether you think that's good or bad. I don't think it was too detrimental. I mean, there are parts of my brain that were screaming that shouldn't be the case. She's always going to be pale. But I have to remember, this is also, you know, real people <laughs> rather than animation. So <laughs> there's only so much you can do. Um, I liked the dress uh, and what they did with that. There was only one problem I had with it. Um, and I guess it's more of a writing thing than a costuming thing. But she gets the dress when she's down in the pit and she is just filthy. And then all of a sudden she's not. I I, I thought the same thing too. I was like... She's like she just went through this whole battle on the beach, so she's gonna be bloody and sweaty, and then magically. Now I know in the car there were people like primping her and cleaning and stuff like that, but they didn't have a shower in the car. (laughs) (laughs) No, and why would why would they have her put on the dress in the hole? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, because she still has to climb out of the muddy hole. (laughs) Yeah, I, I. I thought the same thing too, especially on the second time watching. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I get the presentation, right? Put this on. Right. But it it's yeah. just just doesn't quite work. Um, the, uh, the Polka Dot Man outfit is kind of understated, and I liked it uh, the way they went. Um, I mean, really, pretty much everything in terms of the costuming and the props were pretty solid. Uh, the the blood sport guns were maybe a little over the top, but forgivable because they were kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know where the idea from that came from. Is that a comic book thing, or I just don't like, remember that? But it's possible. These. And and the concept of it's cool, but the look of them was just kind of weird. And yeah. you know they're all CGI. And when like there, there's a scene where it's in the it's in the the trailers for it too. He gets the big gun and it's got the little spinny thing on the end and yeah. then it's they're shooting at Starro and you can really see that it's all CGI and fake because the the reaction that you're getting from each shot is just so overstated and once yeah. you get I'm, I'm well I mean what's he, what's but, he what's he going to do they're going okay oh, you're shooting a big gun what's it look like we don't know yet just you're shooting a big gun yeah just have some recoil you know <laughs> strong recoil. Right. The end. Yeah, so eh, it's it's a small thing. But overall, the costumes were great. The props were great. For me, that's a 9 out of 10. 
Um, I'll, I'll have to continue to agree with you because, like I said, I'm nitpicking on the tattoo things, which honestly a lot of people probably just completely overlooked because that's, that's not yeah. the focus no. whatsoever. Um, yeah, nine's good. Well, let's get back into something a little more where we normally do things. We're going to go back to the director, I do believe. Uh, now, the director of this particular film knows his way around comic book films, uh, has some experience in that genre, uh, Mr. James Gunn. Um, I haven't seen anything that he's made where I haven't enjoyed it. Well, what we've seen from him recently have been just a, a string of great films. Yeah. You know, one of his trademarks also, I, I feel like, is the interaction, the comedy, um, the CGI, the the practical effects. And, of course, the one thing, and I think we should discuss this a little bit later, too, is the soundtracks. He's always been on point with yeah. the soundtracks. Um, I was wondering, can we look at what some of the other things he's done? is Because we, we obviously, we're, we're talking about him, we're talking about this movie. Then we think about the other movies as well, right? So we think we think about Guardians of the Galaxy. We think about the second Guardians of the Galaxy. And he had his hand in some of the bits in terms of the other Avengers things as well. Uh, but what did he do before he got up this kind of spotlight, this starring role? Well, I mean... He, now, okay, you know, I said I've not seen a film of his that I didn't like, and that's not entirely true. Um, he ha He's had, uh, I mean, he did Slither back in 2006, which was solid. I mean, it was it was okay. I didn't get all excited about that one. It was okay. And he did Super in 2010, which, again, was solid. Just, he did Movie 43 uh, in 2013. That film was abysmal. It, it for the number of stars that they had in that film for it to be that incredibly bad was just uh embarrassing um well if you so if you think about those few previous pieces that he had and there's some tv things in there too and then disney's kind of been known for this i feel like they're giving somebody a shot right and right. a lot of times they they get it right and, of course, they really did it right. So he's had yeah. a really good stretch of so Guardians, Guardians 2, and Suicide Squad. And the other thing that's coming up, too, is, and this is a, a part of the discussion, too, for, for later, is there's going to be a Peacemaker series, right. which I feel like is actually already done. And he, he uh, I think, wrote most of that, directed most of the episodes, if not all of them. And so that's going to be the next thing. And that's going to be, what, January of next year. So that's going to come up here real soon, too. So yeah. we'll have some almost immediate follow-up to the movie. So pretty excited about that. Yeah, definitely something. I, I, I think even in the films that, you know, the film, I guess, because there's only the one that I didn't like, you can see that he, he gets certain things that a lot of other directors don't get in terms of timing, in terms of human interaction, what is silly, what is fun. Um, you know, he just gets it. And it definitely shows up when he makes his final work. So seeing that he's going to be attached to a project, specifically a comic-related project, that is a big hype for me. So when I heard that he was going to be attached to the Suicide Squad, I my eyebrow raised. It's like, okay, I definitely want to see this then because I bet it's going to be better than the other one. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, 
he pulled, he definitely did it. He 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 got the cast uh, to to see his vision and to kind of go with it. And I think everybody was was very integrated. And if I'm not mistaken, he's kind of he kind of had free reign on this one to do whatever. And I, I guess we don't necessarily have to discuss, but it's part of the discussion process that the reason that he actually has this is because Disney actually gave him the boot and yeah. then they brought him back. So we're going to see more of him in comic book movies um, on DC and Marvel. So he's got a good thing going in terms of what he's doing. And I guess beyond Guardians three, we'll we'll see. But hard to say, yeah. But uh, yeah, we're in a, we're in a slightly strange situation in terms of where our society is and how companies interact with the ebbs and changes and flows of public opinion and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and whether people can be forgiven. That sort of a thing. Um, yeah, and it's not really our business to no. discuss those things, no. but it's just a point of origin as to why it even came to him being able to make this movie. Exactly. And I guess we're lucky because I, you know, we both like this movie. So. Yeah, definitely so. So on the director choice for me, um, I got to give him a seventeen out of twenty on this one. I think because of the property because of the characters there was only a few things that we kind of felt direction wise didn't make a lot of sex sense sex when we go to comic comparisons um the mongol oh, mongal we'll, we'll get to that in the writing section yeah so that's all part of that but it it I think because he had such a strong hand in the writing piece, he kind of had the back and forth and he could kind of manipulate the script how he wanted to. So honestly, I'll, I'll do a same high score, but I'll do 18. 18. All righty. Yeah. It's one of those things that it really, it's kind of funny. We've had this discussion before the, the people that love the source material, you can see it. He loves the source material. Um, one of our lesser favorite directors also really loves the source material. The difference is I think James Gunn understands the source material uh, in a way that the other person that I will not name does not. Uh, <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> but, you know, not everybody comes from the same spot. So, you know, other people will disagree with me, I'm sure, and say that you are wrong. And that's just in my family. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe they love the Snyder Cut. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let's go on to the casting. Now, this is a weird thing because there were there were a lot of people that were the in the, the original Suicide Squad film that returned in the same roles uh, for this film. Um, I mean, we have just an amazing list of actors and actresses that were in this uh, that were in the original. Now, first of all. Uh, Viola Davis. You can't get a better Amanda Waller, I, I don't think, than than her, at least if you're choosing a person to do it. And I'm not talking about execution or anything. Just the person for the role, she is tip-top, definitely. CCH Pounder is pretty good. Yeah, no, definitely. But there, uh, it, It's amazing that there are two people. Like that character, Like we've talked uh, briefly about it, before we've done this podcast yeah. and that character is just like cold, heartless, calculated yeah. and 
she does the character well. Yes, she does. Um, I really enjoyed it. You, you blink and well, it's not just blink and you miss it. It's most people will not know who the individual is, but when they're doing the insertion of the little pellets into the back of the skull that will potentially blow them up, the doctor that is doing that is played by John Ostrander, who is like one of the big names in the Suicide Squad comics. So it was nice to see that. And it's a continuation as Dr. Fitzgibbon, which is he, Gunn will almost always put a Fitzgibbon in uh in his films it's really entertaining uh, just kind of a nice little nod to a friend and it's just i like that a little little continuing jokes well the first person that we see in the movie is michael rooker and he wasn't in the previous one no. and when you the, the whole thing about it is when you watch the opening sequence like okay you know he's he's got he knows what's going on and then when they go through the lead up of it like it looks like he's he's got you know the mindset. He knows what's like. He's he's presented this character well, and then once he gets to the beach, it's just like, uh, nope, I'm out of here. It's, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that that, that was one. Well it was good to see him in there. Um, Joel Kinnaman uh, returns as Colonel Rick Flag. Now this is an interesting thing. There are actually multiple flags in the comic books. Uh, so my understanding is it's the same character. Um, with his disposition towards the end of the film, I wonder if they do a sequel, if they will bring in the other flag. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, of course, having Nathan Fillion in anything is just great, and his character is ludicrous. doesn't last real long, but it's nice to, nice to see him in it. Uh, there's a lot of split uh, opinions about Jai Courtney. Um, I don't think he did that bad in the original film. I don't think it was great. But he was all right. Um, and it looked, I feel like in the hands of Gunn, his character would have been great. Yes. Well, in the hands of Gunn, the first movie would have been right. much better than, than what it ended up being. But uh, I guess one of my, I've discussed this before in previous podcasts, one of my favorite shows of all time is the Spartacus series from Stars. Um, and he was in the first season as a, a pretty important character so that's where i first actually saw him at but he's become more and more popular since then and obviously he's done this he's done a uh a die hard movie and a right. lot of other things so yeah and i love the captain boomerang character in the comics when it's done right that character's great um and they just have you know a lot of really fun pete davidson showing up in the beginning of the film i think he's quite funny and putting him in the film in a small role was fun um, I will say multiple times that Margot uh, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. I think it's Robbie. I think it's Robbie. See, because I am very good at mashing names, and I like to keep that up so that people know that I uh, am a sad. It's sad tradition. Man. Yeah, it's tradition. Um, but uh, she is fantastic as Harley Quinn. I think she understands the role incredibly well. Does a great job. Is a lot of fun. Um, she's just great. Um, Idris Elba. I mean, I think in in terms of Idris Elba being in all the other Marvel movies, and I think he, in a sense, if I remember right, was he displeased? Like yeah. he was tired of doing that stuff. Yeah. The fact like that it. you got him to do this movie, I think the director had a whole lot to do with that. 
And originally the idea was that he was going to be Deadshot, right? I think so. I think so. Don't don't quote me on that one. Originally, originally that was a thought, and then they're like, "Well, we can't, no, we can't replace. So let's let's just do a different character." And he is fine. He's pretty good in this whole. Like, actually, everybody's pretty good. You mentioned Pete Davidson. To me, he's really annoying. And (laughs) in this in this movie, not at all. So it was it was good. He got his face blasted off real early. eliminated that but yeah he he didn't he wasn't annoying in this so to present him and present him to be tolerable was i think a victory all in itself yeah no i i think he's quite funny uh i can see how some people might not be of the same opinion um but i love idris elba and pretty much anything he could be in a commercial and okay it's uh five stars for me uh john cena is is a weird thing for me. I really like John Cena. I've I've been a wrestling fan, uh, not so much right now, but I don't have time for it unfortunately. But you know, when I was younger, um, he was. You know, a lot of people just disliked him in wrestling, but I, I I enjoyed what he did. I thought he had great charisma. He could he could do things off the cuff. He had a great look. And then I could see the direction is going, going into movies. Like, I don't know if this is going to work for him. And it's been kind of meh. But in this role, perfect. I mean, just spot on where he needed to be. Uh, it was great. Yeah, I, I think in this one, he was the underrated star of the movie because his Peacemaker character ha- had funny lines, yeah. was so just absolute and he, in the other things that I've seen him in, he kind of comes off as not, I, I don't buy him in the role that he is in. And it's part of the role that he's in. It's part his acting. But in this one, I think it was great. And it will be great to see him star in his, home, his own series with this character later on next year, too. So that that one I'm pretty excited about. But yeah, I think he was the kind of the under-the-radar star for this movie. Yeah. Uh, Daniela Melchior as uh, Ratcatcher 2. Um, she was adorable. Uh, I haven't seen anything that she's been in before, but uh, the combination of the, the accent and just the mannerisms, uh, she was quite good. Um, and that's, I mean, she needed to be adorable in that role. I mean, you had to kind of really want to like that character, and she definitely brought that through. So that was a great casting choice. Um, Peter Capaldi as the thinker, uh, he's great in everything. I mean, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you, you know who that is. And uh, it, he's just he's just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Sylvester Stallone. As as uh, King Shark, right? I mean, he. I would not have thought of that at first, but it's makes sense. Yeah, that was. If you didn't know that going into the movie, you wouldn't have like you. I don't know that you would have initially thought like, oh, well, that's that's Sylvester Stallone. And then when you when you tell somebody, well, that was Sylvester Stallone, like, oh my gosh, yes, it makes so much sense. Well, the, the King Shark character was. Fantastic, great. yeah, really, really great. good. But the fact, like, I, you're right. I wouldn't have thought him being a voice actor in much of anything would be 
<laughs> worth listening to or watching. <laughs> but this one was really good. It's really good. And you got uh, talking about blink and you miss it stuff. Uh, Palm Clementif was in it just really, really briefly, which was enter- you 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 can't miss it. I mean, she's dead center on the screen for about a second and a half, but then gone. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, and you you probably won't see this individual, but I bring it up only because, you know, we have our ultimate comic movie database that we talk about um, where, you know, every movie based on a comic strip, comic film is in there. And you can see who's been in the most films. One individual that ranks at number three, if you filter it just for comic book films, gets another tick in this film. And that's Diesel Ramos. He's been a soldier or a heavy or a lot, you know, because he's a big dude in a lot of different films and this he, he's like you know like 17 or 18 right now he's he's got a ton of comic book appearances at this point only chris evans and stan lee have had more than he has had which is impressive well the thing i like about this cast also is if you look at the other james gunn movies you know particularly the the the, the marvel side of things a lot of these People show up in his movies, you know, uh, his uh, brother, for example. Yeah. Calendar Man. I thought that one that little scene was pretty funny, but he's he's actually the the green suit body or double for, or for like, the weasel for the weasel. Yeah. And he does those things in some of the Guardians movies as well. Um, I, I just think that all those little people like Sylvester Stallone, he was in the second Guardians movie and right. um, Nathan Fillion was in the first guardians movie so it's great that all these people that we like just keep showing up in his movies with bigger little parts it's pretty funny it's very entertaining and for me that is that is key that is uh if you don't have good cast you you're you pretty much got no chance for a good film and this is a great cast um so for me uh, it's not perfect, you know. There's there's some some slight misses here and there, but it's it's super solid. So I got to give it a 17 out of 20. Uh, similar. I'll do an 18. So, talking about important things, one other important thing to consider when uh, listening to one of our podcasts is where you can get a hold of us on social media. Hey there, Pudding People. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the Gram Gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? Pudding Guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at Real Pudding Guys. Uh, we will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week, when it's released, any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, now, our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate the film and television engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's gonna be really, really cool when it releases. Now you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Pudding guys. 
pretty easy. Now, right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's $1 per month. Per month. Not per day. Per month. <laughs> yes. $12 for a year. Yeah. Uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content, as we get better equipment to release the content into. And when the Fate engine comes out, it will have its own cost, and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this. And it's going to be so cool. I can't wait for you all to hear about it. And wasn't that super interesting, everyone? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, all right, we only have two categories left in talking about this film. Let's go into cinematography. I don't think there needs to be a lot said about this, other than the fact that I thought they did a really solid job. Um, there are some really nice establishing shots uh, that really helped me do some of the kill counts, <laughs> which was really good. Um, there were... The action, uh, there were no jerky cam sections, which is great. Um, the the way that they managed to keep frame on the combat sections was solid. There, it, it's it's kind of difficult sometimes to get all of the action in the right spot so that you don't have to kind of strain to see everything, and they did a great job with that. Um, the CGI, like we were talking about, just really solid. Well, Starro and the little stars, the it wasn't distracting. No. It looked good. And the eyeballs were kind they, of... Like, they were really good. Really good. So that, that to me was the big thing. Now, of course, King Shark was a major character in there and all CGI. Yeah. The character was great. Not distracting at all. I've mentioned this before. If you watch Infinity War, um, if you watch Endgame... Thanos is a big character in there, right? And he's all CGI. His CGI is okay. Like, it's not bad. I guess it's not distracting, but it's not It's not great. It's not perfect by any stretch. When you look at King Shark, like, I never, and I, like I said, I've watched it a couple of times. I never got that impression where just, like, something just looks off. I just thought it looked really good. Yeah. So the cinematography as a whole, I think, was really solid in terms of what you mentioned like the steady camera angles and not the crazy oh we're running and then like the camera shaking and explosions and stuff the only thing and i'll go back to it like the beach sequence some of the explosions just look like you know rigged explosions yeah and some of the trees like that would probably have been the weakest segment on it but some of those things were so so silly yeah. in that whole sequence that you got a combination of you were initially distracted by how fake some of the explosions were, but then, you know, when the the detachable kid's arms just go and slap the people around, it was really funny. So you, you lost that distraction. Um, when the helicopter crashed and exploded and killed Captain Boomerang, and then they showed him with his hand there holding onto a boomerang, like, cheesy, but I get it. You know, so there was all those little elements right there at the beginning. And I just think the, the actual view of things got better. Uh, polka Dot Man and how he threw his polka dots. That and, was great. And, and even just the spots all over his face, I guess that's more of a prop. That's prosthetics. Yeah, but still, uh, how it looked and how it glowed, I thought was really nice and how 
honestly, he might have been the most powerful character that we saw in this entire thing. So, Which is crazy. There were a lot of neat things and nothing that really distracted me in terms no. of how everything looked and how everything was presented. Even the weasel, which ha- had a really good chance of being just awful. Well, it's not. It was good. It was solid. Yeah. And the fact that they basically killed him by dropping him in the water <laughs> was really funny. <laughs> but he's yeah. not dead. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll keep it short on this particular category. I'm going to go with a 16 out of 20. I want to say 16 is fair. I'll do the same thing. All right. Now for the meat and potatoes. This is why we always end with this. The writing is what makes or breaks a film more often than not. So we will <laughs> we will we will uh, talk about that and ignore the lighting changes that have happened in the room that is causing our video to be just a little wonky. Uh <laughs> It's a bright sunny day. We always film at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Right. And it's the opposite. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's just weird. It's sunlight. Yeah. And uh, we didn't account for that completely <laughs> in our video feed. Sunlight. <laughs> We're awake. It's uh, weird. Yeah, strange. But, okay, so the writing. Um, the writing on this didn't need to have much. I mean, truthfully. I mean, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. Um, send in ridiculous villains to do something where they're probably going to die. There's one plot swerve, end of story. That's, I mean, it's, it's pretty tried and true formulaic. Um, nothing all that amazing. So the key is in establishing characters that you want to watch and that you want to care about uh, and having those interactions that are good. And I think they, they, they definitely did that in this film. Well, if you deliver a movie and you could have great characters and great, visuals and all those things but the story is just the worst thing ever then you didn't have a good movie if you have the story that's just amazing and all these twists and turns are great but the actors are just awful then it's potentially not a good movie i i think what you got in this one is all the other things were really really good and the story was just good enough to keep everything from tanking yeah because that could really happen quickly in a comic book movie that could really happen quickly especially in in, as we've already seen in a dc comic book movie happens a lot and this just for so many reasons has a completely different feel from all the other dc movies that we've seen recently and part of that honestly has to do with the story now that being said the story's not no it's not great but it's not what is bringing down the movie, and that's okay. Yeah. The uh, the things that I liked about it, it moved at a nice clip. They kept things uh, um, going. Uh, if you look at some of the interviews with James Gunn, the original cut of the film was two hours and 40 minutes, and they chopped 20 minutes off of it uh, for the release, which I think was smart uh, to keep the, the film moving for the average. I'm, I'm, I will be curious to see what the other... <laughs> what the other 20 minutes uh, are like as uh, Richard's face starts to disappear. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the joys of recording. Um, But the thing that really gets me is if, if this film had a inconsistency, or if it had a problem, I should say, it's the, the way that some of the characters were handled. Some of them were genius changes. And some of them 
were okay and some of them were just not. It's kind of weird. It's a, an odd grab bag. So like Polka Dot Man will use. That character is worthless in the comics. I mean, just not a great character. Um, not a good character. Not even an okay character. I mean, it's just... it's. But they managed to turn it into a character that you can empathize with, that has some nice lines, that has an important role in the film. It's, it's just acted extremely well. Um, I mean, the, the, the actor is not new to comic book films. I mean, he's been in the Ant-Man films. What's his name? Uh, I'm not going to try that one. I thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> I skipped it on purpose. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been fantastic. And that character... It was turned from just a dud into something really cool. Um, and they they were able to maintain things like Harley's importance without just overpowering the film. I mean, that, that was an ensemble. It's really easy to just have one character overpower everything. And they had a really nice balance. But there were some mistakes. Yeah, for sure. Um I, I like the fact that if you if you look at the first Suicide Squad, the name of the movie is Suicide Squad. Not that people directly cause their own death, but what they are doing, what they are tasked to do, is most likely going to cause their death. And we didn't really see that in the first movie. No, there wasn't not really. that not you, gravity. You don't establish the threat. The threat. But then also the expend how expendable everybody is right. because honestly they're bad guys. Right. And they are expendable because they don't have worth. Is that kind of No, I wouldn't say that they don't exactly have worth, but if you're going to have uh, a situation that is going to potentially lead to the deaths of several operatives, they better to do a villain who you don't care if they die than somebody that has more uh, in, inherent value in, to society. I mean, that's, I guess, the, the govern, government way of looking at it. And we mentioned, we, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking one-on-one -on -one to ourselves about the movie. This time you got that, Obviously, when the whole movie was starting, and it's like, this is the Suicide Squad, and it shows all these different characters, and they're in front of the flag, and they're doing the slow motion watch. It's like, oh, this is the squad. This is the team. And then you get into the movie, and they land on the beach. Gone. You're like, <laughs> that was so much fun. Yeah. So the, the fact that they were so dispensable, right, right? The, that they didn't really have that that depth and we, it's not like we got a lot of development from any of those people they no. were just there but it being a suicide squad movie they just basically killed off the majority of the characters the people in the movie so that part i appreciated not because they killed them because that was the that sets was, up the premise that's the that was the premise of it yeah now how they handled some of the characters i was less than thrilled with as as much as that for every polka dot man success story uh uh the weasel where they they changed it from being a dude in a suit to actually being a weasel yeah that makes sense and it's silly and it's fun okay cool for every success like that it seems like they made another change that just you just kind of go why it it's just doesn't make any sense we talked about mon gal uh earlier 
So for comic book fans who know where that character comes from, that character wouldn't have even been scratched by an exploding helicopter. There's no reason that character should have been included at all. And it's not that it's it's not just that they changed the character. It's it was an unnecessary change. There are so many throwaway female villains. If you want to have a strong female villain, I, I'm not going to go into it, but there's probably about 10 to 20 different choices that they could have made that would have been fine for for doing that and and would have worked. Why that? Why would you change that character? And I don't even know I don't even know if a lot of people know that that character. Maybe they know the name. They know Mongol. Right. And yeah. so it's Mongal is Mongol's daughter. And Mongol is basically toe to toe with Superman and right. modifications. Right. So could she have jumped from the land to the helicopter? Yes. She would have jumped through the helicopter and it would have been done. And she'd have brushed off everything and probably killed all the rest of the members of the team and not cared and just left. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, 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 I don't, I just don't, it seems like such a glaring, glaring weakness because there were so many other choices that could have been made. Maybe they just wanted somebody that was orange. We want somebody that's orange in here to stand out because it's going to be a dark scene and everybody else is going to look like every. Uh, if we get some one of these others, it'll look just like a person. I don't know. That was a minor thing. I mean, it was a throwaway character. It's more irksome than anything else. It doesn't hurt the plot of the film. It just annoys my comic sensibilities. Um, I had more of an issue with the way that they portrayed... Um, Amanda Waller's character. Um, Maybe not in the first half. Not in the first half, but towards the end. Again, there was like a, a cut scene where, you know, you kind of wonder why Rick Flagg, who is like her guy, is going to be on the team that's left to die. And apparently there is a cut scene where he is critical of something that she wears. That's it. And for somebody that understands comics so well to have, this seems like a, um, a kind of, a, you know, we all have uh, skills that are missing in our skill set, you know, blank spots like uh, I replaced bulbs in one of my uh, light fixtures recently. And um, my wife said, let's get LED. And I said, sure, why not? And then it blew the fixture because it wasn't compatible with LED. That's a gap in my knowledge set. I learned something. This seems like an odd gap because Waller, sure, she can be vindictive, but she's not petty. She is pragmatic to the extreme. She would not send one of her best operatives to the dead group that she knows just going to be the people that she's, she's using as a diversion. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. She also wouldn't lose her temper in the way that she did. What what was the purpose of that? You just took this this character that should be cold, scary, and calculating, and turned her into a rage monster that now I'm not scared of at all. And was out of control, like lost lost her lost her control of the room for one. Right, lost her control of the situation. But the other thing too is, why were there two squads again? Because it seems to me, okay, so this was a distraction squad, and I get it, 
but the two people that lived, they were able to just go and find him, no problem. So I was like, well, what happened to all the bad guys that were on the beach? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like that, when it showed that second squad, like, okay, you're free to go. I was like, oh, okay, funny. But then they just like, well, let's go get Rick Flag and let's just walk through the jungle again. I'm like, why didn't you just land on the other side of the beach and just walk into the jungle and do that anyway? I, I don't know. <laughs> didn't make sense. Yeah, there, there were a couple of plot holes here and there. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing huge. No. In terms of plot holes, it was, you know, stuff you'll find in most movies. But my... I find those to be semi-forgivable as long as they're not too big. The the unforgivable things are just the, the character defects. So that Amanda Waller should just be incredibly frightening. And the change that they did towards the second half just, just ruined that character for the film. Starro as the big bad. That was great. Great. Um, you know, some of the other situations that they had in there... Um, where they they give themselves up in the bar and then they go crashing down the crashing down the the road in the truck and then they get out of like in the back of the truck like yeah yeah that was a little that could have been done better but you know i I get it in terms of it being a comic book movie and there's a shark person walking around there's going to be some liberties taken (laughs) a little bit i understand that and once again it's we're nitpicking. We yeah. have to when the movie's when the movie's pretty solid. We gotta right. find things that are wrong, and when we find those things that are wrong, and they're just little petty things like that, you know the movie's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so all in all, I think that the the plot, like I said, it's not amazing, but it, it it took something that was basic and made it mostly good. So for me, that's like a sixteen out of twenty. Uh, I'll go with. I think my original thought on this one was like a 14 or a 15. So I'll stick I'll stick with 14. All right. So now's the time where we do bonus points or takeaway points. Now, I usually don't do it, but I do have them on this. Uh, I have two takeaway points, and we've already talked about it. Uh, one for Mongal and one for Amanda Waller. They were that bad enough that they didn't affect the plot necessarily. That's why I didn't put it there. But they did affect my enjoyment of the film because it messed up those characters uh, significantly. So negative two points for that for me. Okay, so shout out to Michael if you're listening to this. Uh, I got to mention the soundtrack. Um, when he was on with us, we were discussing Black Widow. Is that what right. we were discussing? And part of our points that we have here doesn't include a section for the music or the soundtrack. And and. I mentioned before that James Gunn has a pretty good sense of that. And one of the things that stands out from some of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies is the actual soundtrack that you get with right. it. And I thought that was pretty strong in this as well. So I got to give a bonus point to the soundtrack. Uh, we we did an episode recently with our cover songs. And part of the section described Johnny Cash. And that was the first thing that you heard. So it was like, oh, that just that just struck a chord with me. And then, of course, the rest of it was pretty solid, pretty on point. So, yeah, I, I got to give a bonus point to the soundtrack. Absolutely. So that brings our final scores for Richard, 84. For me, 83. Uh, you know, it's really enjoyable. It's kind of one of those things that there are films that I have ranked higher than this that I don't think I'll probably watch again, but 
you know, this film, I will. I mean, it's just, uh, I'll probably watch it at least once or twice more, especially if they release the extended cut uh, on Blu-ray. I'll watch it for that. But uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's a lot of fun. Um, very gory. Um, uh, definitely some language. There actually is nudity in it. Yeah, I think you see a boob in there. Uh, you see more than that, but <laughs> you have to be looking for it. I only noticed it because I was doing kill counts. <laughs> so, but uh, it's so fast that generally pretty safe for you know, like you know, depending upon what your uh, tweens, you know, to to higher teens, you know, solid all around there, very good. But what did you think? Let us know on social media. You can, of course, find us in all the places we described before. We would love to get your opinion on the film. Now, next week, we will have an interview with a really cool actor. So come back and make sure uh, that you pay attention to that because we've got some good stories coming up. But until then, keep having fun and watching movies. Mm-hmm.